is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, January 12, 2023. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Taylor Schwenk is working from the pulpit and greatly relieved, Taylor, that Carlos Correa has found a home. The long saga of Carlos <laughs> Correa's free agency is over. And we shouldn't just talk about the last you know, four weeks. We should talk about last offseason, going into free agency, not getting what he wanted, firing his agent, hiring Scott Boris, wind up signing this uh, unusual deal with the Twins in the spring. And then the Twins apparently were not close to his first choice. Giants, that deal falls apart physical. Mets, that deal falls apart physical. He lands back with the Minnesota Twins. What do you think? I was just looking through my soundboard. It's been a long time uh, since we played the prices right. Dun, 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 dun. That's what it feels like going back to the Twins. I mean, it's so anticlimactic. It's lame. I mean, the Twins are fine, but like, come on, man, have some respect. Go somewhere where you can win. My God. I don't know. I, I don't blame him for taking the money. Like he waited for free agency, you know, and, and was in a he thought in a great position for free agency. Uh, you know, I watched some of that press conference yesterday and, you know, Carlos talked about the nice twins uniforms and he, oh he had God. a big smile on his face. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Here's some of that sound from Carlos Correa's press conference. Last year when I came in, um, I felt welcome uh, right away from the get go. I felt like I was part of a family. Um, so, you know, throughout the whole process to be able to, you know, communicate with you guys, talk to all my teammates, uh, you know, communicate through the whole process, talking to boxing almost every day, talking to Miranda and all the guys. Um, definitely, like you said, my heart was here. So um, I'm happy we got this done, and I want to thank you guys for that. The Los Angeles Dodgers acquired veteran infielder Miguel Rojas from the Marlins on Wednesday, adding some depth to their infield after the loss of Trey Turner and Justin Turner. We're going to be talking with Tim Kirchin about that coming up. The Marlins are busy. Not only did they make that Rojas trade, but they signed Gene Segura, two years, $17 million. Apparently, they're going to try to play him at third base. Johnny Cueto gets a one-year, $8.5 million deal. For the Red Sox, good news and bad news. We'll go with the good news first. Rafael Devers uh, finalized his $313.5 million contract, uh, long-term deal. They've locked in finally on a, on a player. Here's Rafael Devers talking about the deal through his interpreter. I love what I do. I'm happy to play here. That hunger will, won't subside. It'll, it'll, it'll be maintained because I just love playing baseball and I love doing it here. I just want to be the same guy that I've always been, someone who has fun, someone who enjoys the game, who's, a, who's approachable. A lot of times my teammates ask me a lot of questions um, and I'm happy to, to answer, but I never want to feel like I'm above the team or, or something that's larger than, than what I see that I am. But there's also this about the Red Sox. Shortstop Trevor Story had surgery on his throwing elbow. We talked last year, we talked the year before that about the concerns around baseball with other teams that he was going to need a significant uh, elbow surgery at some point. Well, guess what? The Red Sox plowed ahead, signed him last spring, and now he's out indefinitely. Uh, we'll be talking with Tim about where the Red Sox turned for a shortstop coming into this year. Other signings. A.J. Pollock signed with the Mariners, one year, $7 million. Brandon Belt and the Blue Jays, one year, $9.3 million. In keeping with a recent Toronto trend that I'm going to talk with Sarah Langs about, the Padres took a flyer on Nelson Cruz, one year, $1 million. If he hits, it'll be worth it. 
If he doesn't hit, it's not that big of a deal. They'll just make a change during the season. Corey Dickerson got $2.25 million for one year with the Nationals. Trevor Bauer was designated for assignment last week with the Dodgers making the decision uh, two weeks after the independent arbitrator trimmed the pitcher's suspension under the MLB domestic violence policy from 324 games to 194. I'm going to ask Tim, uh, you know, pick up on the threads of conversation we had with Hembo last week. Does he think that Trevor Bauer is going to find a team? I have very strong feelings about that. And we got some tough news this week. White Sox closer Liam Hendricks announced on Instagram that he has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I have heard that there's great optimism that he'll be able to pitch at some point this year. Guess what, Taylor? Guess who we're talking to today? Liam Hendricks' teammate, Dylan Cease, who finished second in the Cy Young voting in the American League this year. You love Dylan Cease. I uh, was very excited when you uh, floated his name out there as a possible guest and even more so when we uh, locked him up. So I can't wait to hear your conversation. I'm sure it's going to be delightful for the listeners. Yeah, I'm going to brag to him about, I think, what was my best prediction of 2022. Mm -hmm. All right. What else you got? Buster, on Monday night, early Tuesday morning, actually, the College Game Day podcast convened uh, after that blowout national title game. Uh, Reese Davis and Pete Thamel were in the bowels of SoFi recording a show uh, talking about that blowout, uh, looking at uh, way too early top 25, all that good stuff uh, that you do at the end of the season. So check out the College Game Day podcast, their championship game recap and a little look ahead to next season. They'll be plowing ahead for uh, two episodes a week uh, going into the offseason. So check them out. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirchin, of course, covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, there's so much that I want to talk to you about today. We got the end of the Carlos Correa saga, you know, what it means for the Mets, what it means for the Twins, an interesting twist in this whole thing. Uh, big news from the Red Sox, some of it really bad. Trevor's story out for the year. But I, I want to start out and you know, throw a little curveball at you at the beginning because we got this trade yesterday with the Marlins dealing Miguel Rojas to LA. Which, you know, by Dodgers standards, Tim, I think you'd agree with me. They've had a relatively quiet offseason. What are you seeing them right now? Well, first off, you throw more curveballs than Lance McCullers Jr. Let's be clear about that. And it always starts right at the top. Look, the Dodgers had to do something else in the middle infield, having lost Trey Turner. Miguel Rojas 
I know three years ago when we did their playoff game, those guys raved about him. Leadership, way he plays the game, absolute, steady, reliable, shortstop. He can play different positions. I think they needed to add somebody else to that infield mix, having lost Trey Turner. This guy's a pro's pro. He used to play for the Dodgers. So I think it's a really good move by them because you're right. It's been otherwise pretty darn quiet in L.A. I'm still a little confused by that. This didn't confuse me. They need some help at second. They need it at shortstop. Gavin Lux can't do both. Now they have another option. Yeah, and look, I think the reason why it's fairly apparent now, the Dodgers are resetting under the luxury tax threshold to bring their payroll way down. They'll have one year where they'll pull it down, and then they'll be in a position potentially next offseason to go after a bigger name, say like, Shohei Otani. So I think that's what we're doing. The question I think that's relevant for 2023 is whether or not uh, you feel like, uh, and we see that the Padres have caught the Dodgers in terms of being a regular season team because the Dodgers have dominated the National League West. We know, you know, the Giants won the division two years ago, but the Dodgers are right on their heels. They led the majors and wins last year. What do you see in that gap between those teams right now? Well, the Padres certainly have closed it, and Nelson Cruz is going to help on some small level doing that also. Let's not forget, though, the Dodgers won 22 more games than the Padres did last year. That's a hard gap to make up. But the Padres clearly have gotten better, and the Dodgers, to me, have not, especially losing Trey Turner. I still think the Dodgers are the best team in that division, but it's a much, much closer race now. I think they went into last year, I thought, well, the team to beat the National League for sure. I don't feel that way anymore, not for sure, but they're the Dodgers. They'll figure it out. They have money, resources, but you're right. They're resetting things. They're going to go after Otani. That only makes sense. And we'll see what they do from here. Am I allowed to ask you to lock in your National League West pick today? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to still lock in the Dodgers again. Wow. I've I learned thought you were them. just going to like punch me in the face and say, stop that. No, I, I've, I've tried to punch you in the face, Buster, and it doesn't work. So you always hit me <laughs> back anyway. So I'm going to go with the Dodgers for today because – Again, they, they're such a great organization. They know how to win. Their pitching is a little thin, especially in the rotation, but they'll find a way with the superstars on their team. So soon we'll find out, you know, Trevor Bauer officially uh, will be uh, dumped by the Dodgers at some point, um, and, you know, and which has led to the question that's been asked uh, all, you know, the, really since uh, this whole thing started with Trevor, do you think he'll pitch again in the big leagues? I said on the podcast last week that my instinct is no. I feel like, Tim, that uh, the way teams look at these situations, you know, players who are linked to, uh, you know, domestic violence suspensions is so different than it was when I first started covering baseball. Um, and, I, you know, the example that I cited last week, Roberto Asuna, the, uh, you know, he had a domestic violence situation when he was with the Toronto Blue Jays. He got suspended. Uh, and the only team that was willing to even talk about trading for him was the Houston Astros. He was a good reliever for the Astros. And since the Astros let him go after that ugly incident, uh, you know, related to him in the Astros clubhouse, uh, he didn't do anything. It was between, a, you know, Astros officials and reporters. Uh, he hasn't gotten a sniff in the big leagues. And I think a lot of teams now are at the point where they're like, you know what? We, do, we want to protect our brand from that sort of conversation uh, around our organization. What do you think? 
Yeah, it's my instinct also that he's not going to pitch again. It's just an instinct. It's nothing else. Um, I have talked to a couple general managers when I asked him, do you think Trevor Bauer will pitch again in the big leagues? There was hesitation. There was hemming and hawing. And then I got two no's from the last two general managers I spoke about this. And I think you're right. I just think the atmosphere and the climate uh, just doesn't suggest that he's going to pitch again in the big leagues. We'll see about that. He's still 31. He's he's a great talent still, but this is um, a very serious situation. Yeah, his agent yesterday was, you know, sending out video of, uh, you know, his improved changeup, um, you know, what's sort of the way she portrayed that. It, it doesn't really matter, you know. I mean, the teams that are involved in conversations with Trevor Bauer, they have to get past, uh, you know, the suspension and, and what – you know, what people will say about their organization on social media after, uh, you know, any team were to add him. The end of the Carlos Correa saga reached this week when Correa landed with the Minnesota Twins on a $200 million contract over six years. What do you think? Well, I think it's a great thing for the Twins because they get him back for six years and they don't have him with his health issue, which we're not sure about. They don't have him for 11 years. So it's certainly a safer contract. To me, the Twins haven't done enough in the offseason to keep them in contention in that division, a very winnable division for me. But Correa now puts them in a position where they can win the Central. Now, the Guardians were really good, especially the end of last year. I think the White Sox are going to be better than they were last year. But this move, having an everyday shortstop who hits in the middle of the order, is going to put the Twins back in the race in the Central. And I don't think they were going to be a contender without him. That doesn't mean he's the best player in the game. It means he fills an enormous need on their team. And I've never seen anything like this, Buster. I mean, starts with Minnesota, goes to the Giants, goes to the Mets, goes to the back to the Twins. I've covered a long time, and I don't pretend to cover free agency now like I used to, but I know I've never seen anything like this. The only thing comparable, and it's it's really apples and oranges, is when Manny Ramirez was going to Texas for Alex Rodriguez and then the Red Sox, and, and that didn't work out. He ended up going to the Yankees for Alfonso Soriano. You were there for all that. Um, that was an amazing back and forth. Uh, this wasn't maybe quite as amazing, but I've never seen anything, no free agent situation quite like this one. And Tim, think about this interesting twist for Carlos Correa, uh, bookends on this whole situation. You remember that in his last year with the uh, Houston Astros, they made him an offer. It was something in the range of, you know, I can't remember, like $120 million over six years. And Carlos was clearly insulted by that number because he came out and he's very critical of it. He had a terrific year with the Astros. And then as he's going into free agency, they make him another offer. Tim, six years, $210 million reportedly, okay? And he rejects that because he's looking, I'm sure, because Carlos is a competitive guy, he's a great player, uh, looking to be somewhere in the Francisco Lindor range, the $341 million range. Uh, so he rejects that, goes into free agency. Last fall, when there was the flurry of big-name signings before the lockout, he wasn't in that. During the lockout, he fires his agent, hires Scott Boris. He doesn't get that deal. He gets that weirdly structured deal uh, with uh, with the Twins to play in 2022. Nobody in baseball expected to be back with the Twins, but then we get the flunk physicals. And he winds up taking $150 million less, Tim, uh, from that offer that the Giants made to sign with the to sign with the Twins. 
And guess what? The deal that he gets in the end with the Twins is almost exactly the same offer that the Astros offered him before (laughs) this all happened. Right. Again, it just adds another layer of strangeness to this entire situation. But in the end, these teams today, Buster, when you're making this kind of commitment to a player, you, you have to be, you have to know about the physicals and you have to know about where is the guy going to be in five years, or in this case, 10 or 11 years. And the giants weren't sure. And the Mets weren't sure. So let's hope for Correa's sake and the twin sake that his leg holds up for the next six years. Cause it's done pretty well the last six years. And uh, again, this is something I've just shook my head at several times here. Yeah. This feels like Robinson Cano going to the Mariners. Uh, you know, <laughs> a great player that uh, we're not going to see that often. And for Carlos who loves the big stage, it's the part of it that has to be hard for him uh, about the Mets not doing this. Paul Ambikides is coming up. I'm sure that he's going to you know, laugh at me for this statement. I don't think for the Mets it's that big of a deal that they didn't wind up landing him. I thought he was more the cherry on top of a really good team that won 101 games last year that it has improved their depth. Yeah, he, he would have made them better. But, Tim, if you're willing to spend the type of money that Steve Cohen is willing to spend, they'll add during the season before the trade deadline. What do you think? Yes, look, they're going to miss Carlos Correa, even though they never really had him because he added another enormous middle-of-the-order production. Um, But they're still really good without him. They've added three starting pitchers in the offseason, including the reigning Cy Young winner from the American League. They signed their, re-signed their closer. They got their center fielder back. Eduardo Escobar played awfully well at third base at times, especially late last year. It's not like they don't have a third baseman. So I thought Correa was going to be the final piece of the Mets. But even without him, they still might be the best team in that division. They won 101 games last year. Um, I still really like where they are. They would have been better with Correa, but if they need something, you're right. Steve Cohen just goes and gets it during the season, after the season, whatever it takes. Yeah, I had one evaluator say that the the greatest loss for the Mets in not signing Correa was that among their position players, they need an FU player, a guy who in a big stage, in a big moment, is not afraid and assumes through great competitive arrogance that he's going to succeed, and that is Carlos Correa. Uh, I want to ask you, we got a couple minutes left about uh, the Trevor Story injury, which, I mean, people around baseball were not surprised that he had an elbow issue. You know, the Red Sox were talking about him playing shortstop. People that the teams were saying, he's never going to do that. What do you think about all that? Well, it's a terrible loss for the Red Sox. If he loses the whole season, which seems possible, if not likely, um, now they don't really have a shortstop or a second baseman, and they're trying to compete in a division with the up-and-coming Orioles and three playoff teams, the Yankees, the Rays, and the Blue Jays, and the Blue Jays, to me, have gotten better, and so have the Yankees by re-signing Judge and signing Carlos Rodon, and the Rays are always good. This is the wrong time and the wrong division to try to open in a season in Boston without a shortstop or a second baseman. So they are scrambling now. Who knows what they're going to do? Kike Hernandez, Sun Young Kim, make a trade, something. Who knows what they're going to do? But uh, they're in a lot of trouble right now without uh, without Bogarts and now without Story. And don't yeah, forget, and- Buster, when they fell last year really badly, it was because their defense 
fell apart. And Trevor Story, as a second baseman, was the key member of that defense. Now you lose defense at second and shortstop. That's not good. It's a weird – the team's in a weird place. They signed these older guys, you know, Kenley Jansen, Justin Turner, did two-year contracts. I don't think that, you know, they're close to some of the best teams in the East, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they handle the shortstop issue. Tell me about Liam Hendricks's personality. Like you, uh, you know, your your exchanges with him through the years. We got, you know, word from him this week that he's fighting cancer. Uh, there's great hope within the organization that he'll be back during the year. Tell me about Liam Hendricks. Well, he's one of the best guys in the game. He's made me laugh many, many times. He's also got a real soft spark to him. He takes care of dogs. He he adopts them. He takes he opens up shelters to help animals. You gotta love the guy in every way. Also, his wife is a figure skater. And, and he can skate because he's played hockey before. But I asked him about his figure skating ability once because his wife was so good at it. And he basically said, she just laughs at me whenever I get on skates. And he knows how to skate, but not compared to, to her. He's one of the guys we need to keep in the game, not because he throws 100 and he's really good, but because every player in the league should take lessons from what it's like to deal with other people with the way Liam needs, uh, Liam Hendricks deals with players and with the media. Did you almost just say Liam? Yes, yes. I almost said Liam Neeson. I just watched that stupid Taken last night for about five minutes. How can that be on my mind when I'm talking about Liam Hendricks? Good luck to him. God bless. He's going to be fine. I know it because he is a warrior on every level. Thanks, Tim. All right, Buster, and say hi to Hembo for me. Tell him I'm never speaking to him again if he sends me another one of those impossible trivia questions. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo, of course, Paul Embikides, a research at ESPN, but I was listening to you on the radio with Greeny yesterday, Hembo, and and I felt chastened to some degree because he introduced you as the content producer for the show Get Up. So I've been misstating your title for some time now. I just, you know, I think it's better just to stick with head honcho. Well, uh, th- that's perfectly fine, Buster. I I, uh, I much prefer your introduction than to my actual boring job title. It reminds me of like many, many years when people will come and say my last name incorrectly. They'll say Hembakides for five years and they'll say like, why didn't you tell me five years ago how, how to pronounce your last name? Sometimes I just let it ride. It's not worth the trouble. And on this particular show, I am uh, much prefer to be uh, to be introduced that way, as is our tradition. Yeah, you know, you could, uh, I mean, you're right. Content producer, if you just listen to that title, it's like someone who generates poop. Oh, uh, exactly. Look like, so. like my two daughters. <laughs> as, my, as my wife well, recently described them as uh, angry blobs. That's where we are in our parenting. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Just wait till they're teenagers. Then we'll see what, <laughs> what your wife says. So you heard what I said to Tim. You were listening in when I mentioned about Carlos Correa. And you and I have been emailing back and forth about this. Uh, you know, the, the loss for the Mets. I don't think there's any question Correa makes them a better team. Uh, would have made them a better team. But I also think that they'll be fine. Like, I think they're a really good team, and I think Steve Cohen will spend the money to fill the holes if something emerges during the year. What's your take? You had that right. But uh, it can be true that the Mets will be just fine without Carlos Correa, while it is also true that had they signed Carlos Correa, they would uh, become my favorite to win the division. That's how good I think the Atlanta Braves are. In other words, if the the season started tomorrow, 
Without Carlos Correa, I think the Mets are the second best team, as they were last year. Now, they both won the same number of games that obviously required a Herculean effort in the second half of the season from Atlanta to overtake them. But Carlos Correa, at least a healthy version of Carlos Correa, is enough of a difference maker buster to swing the division five, six, seven wins. Like He's that much better than Eduardo Escobar. And as such, I think that might wind up being the difference in who wins the National League East. So yesterday, Braves fans across the country did a big exhale as far as I'm concerned. He's a better player now. He makes them better now. But I also think that the way the Mets handle this um, demonstrates Steve Cohen is not just this drunken spender. You know, he's not like this crazy spender. In fact, I'm writing a piece on this. The day that they came to an agreement in the aftermath of the Giants failed physical, uh, I had someone in the organization tell me, Steve Cohen, if Billy Epler gets medical information that's concerning, Cohen will not give him that, you know, massive contract, 300 plus million. He'll try to make an adjustment. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, I've had folks with other teams reading between the lines. Actually, I haven't looked at Correa's information, but they're saying reading between the lines, it's pretty clear at the back end of that deal, the second half of that deal, there's going to be some concern in the eyes of rival evaluators about arthritis for a guy who's playing third base. What do you think? I think you have that exactly right. Uh, billionaires don't become billionaires by making emotional, irrational decisions. Steve Cohen is a brilliant human being who has been successful in practically every endeavor in his life. And it's clear part of the reason for it is because he leans on his counsel to make wise decisions. Uh, like we said on the pod last week, it made all the sense in the world for them to jump in when the San Francisco Giants decided to pull out. And it makes all the sense in the world now for with all the information they've collected over the last three weeks to act in that manner, especially when you consider that Manny Machado might be a free agent uh, in the upcoming offseason. When you also consider that he can buy literally any player he wants. Why would he invest that much money in a player for whom their doctors say is not worth the long-term investment? If I'm a Mets fan this morning, even though I would have preferred to have Carlos Correa play third base for me next season, I can rest assured knowing that I don't have an owner who's going to do stupid, silly, emotional things, and that goes a long way for that fan base. Yep, totally agree with you. Uh, we're going to have Dylan Cease on in just a moment. Uh, tell me about uh, Dylan Cease's 2022 season. Three things that made you say, wow. This was a breakout season for Dylan Cease, a breakout season that you, by the way, my friend, predicted. You picked him to win the American League Cy Young. He finished second in the American League Cy Young. Here are my three favorite things about his season. So he made 14 starts. Dylan Cease made 14 starts from May the 29th to August 11th. He allowed one or zero earned runs in all 14 of those starts. Buster, excluding openers, that is the longest stretch of its kind by any pitcher ever. All right, number two, 227 strikeouts, 126 hits allowed. That was his ratio last season, 227 to 126. It is the first time in the history of the Chicago White Sox that a pitcher struck out 100 more guys than he allowed hits. The White Sox have been playing baseball since 1901. Number three, he struck out 131 of those batters with his slider. 131. That was the most by any pitcher using any off-speed pitch in baseball last season. And StatCast says it was the single best pitch in baseball, measuring with a run value of minus 36. Dylan Cease had the best pitcher in all of baseball last season. That slider is venomous. It should be declared illegal in all 50 states as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, and he, of course, uh, you know, he's also got that great mustache as well. He and Spencer Strider, maybe the two best <laughs> in baseball. Uh, we've got the Hall of Fame announcement coming up here later this month. Who's the biggest snub on the Hall of Fame ballot in your eyes? Uh, Andrew Jones is the biggest Hall of Fame snub. This appears to be the sixth straight year 
where the Hall of Fame voters will swing and miss on Andrew Jones. Uh, he's a player buster whose case is greatly enhanced using modern metrics. I'm going to use some of those. Uh, number one, I think he might be the greatest outfielder that ever lived. Not hyperbole. It's a statement of fact. So baseball reference measures the number of runs, better or worse, than average a player was by using defensive runs saved when that stat is available and its total zone rating when not. Here's the top of that outfield leaderboard. Number three is Willie Mays. Number two is Roberto Clemente. And number one is Andrew Jones at plus 235. That's what the numbers say. Number two, he enjoyed an absolutely brilliant peak. And it wasn't short. So in his 10-season prime from 1998 to 2007, Jones generated 58 wins above replacement. That ranked third among all position players over that stretch behind only Alex Rodriguez and Barry Bonds. Again, that's a 10-year stretch. And number three, this is probably the most surprising number that I encountered. Andrew Jones is as responsible for the Braves' division dynasty as literally anybody. So amid the Braves' record streak of 14 consecutive division titles, Jones was, by war at least, their best player on five of those seasons. Andrew More Jones than Chipper did it five Jones. Times. Higher than Chipper Andrew Jones. Jones did it five times. Greg Maddox did it twice. And Buster, nobody else did it more than once during that wow. stretch. Andrew Jones had a, had a Hall of Fame career. It is high time for writers to acknowledge him as a Hall of Famer. Well, it's not going to happen this year. And I think another casualty of the, the steroid era, because I think a lot of what he did well was obscured uh, by all the home runs and the explosion numbers we saw in that time. Before you go... Uh, we had hoped to have Dusty Baker on the podcast today. That didn't happen, but you did prepare some thoughts on Dusty Baker. Yes, imagine that I am walking to that podium in Cooperstown that we just discussed, and I'm going to introduce Dusty Baker to throngs of adoring fans across the lawn. This, of course, is uh, all of his numbers through this most recent season. He's going to continue to accumulate those as he continues to manage a really good team. It's 2,093 regular season wins for his career. There are only eight managers with more, and they are all in the Hall of Fame. In fact, Dusty Baker could lose 302 straight games. I wouldn't recommend this. He could lose his next 302 games and still own a winning record for his career. Again, not a good strategy. All right, the postseason record is 51 and 46. He's not the just postseason choke artist that people remember. There are only three managers that have won more postseason games than he has. Four of the last five teams he has managed won their division. And the only exception is Houston in 2020. They, of course, wound up all the way in the ALCS. It's 12 90 win seasons against only two 90-loss seasons. But my favorite Dusty Baker note of all, and then I think this speaks to his temperament and his calming presence, 25 years as a big league manager buster, 25 seasons, 25 ejections. For, for context, Wow. Aaron, Aaron Boone has been ejected from 26 games <laughs> as a big league manager. That is Dusty Baker. Yeah, I got to ask Dusty about that. I think we'll get him on at some point, but I got to ask him about that. You know, and what he would tell a young manager – like an Aaron Boone, about getting ejected so often. So we'll uh, hopefully have that opportunity soon. Hembo, thanks for doing this. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Dylan Seas finished second in the American League of the Cy Young, voting for his work last season when he had a 2.20 ERA, an adjusted ERA plus of 180, 227 strikeouts in 184 innings. Dylan, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, before we get into your development as a pitcher and what lies ahead for you, I want to ask you about Liam Hendricks, who announced this week you know, he's, he's fighting cancer. I get asked all the time by fans, you know, who are players that you like to talk to? And he's always one of the guys they mention. What's he like as a teammate? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, obviously it's um, really devastating news. But, you know, I, I think from what I'm hearing, it shouldn't be too serious and he should be able to uh, come through it. Uh, and, and, you know, this year. So um, as a teammate, I mean, he's uh, he, he's not afraid to be himself would be the biggest uh, biggest way I describe him, which is is always a positive because um, I, know, I guess in a sense, it's uh, it's it takes courage and kind of like vulnerability, you know, to 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 be willing to just put yourself out there. And um, so to me, that's kind of like a form of leadership. So. Um, he, he's always been a, an inclusive guy. So, you know, he's, he's, um, he's, how to describe it? Just, he's just a good clubhouse guy, you know? I mean, he's, uh, obviously what he does in the field speaks for itself, but, um, you know, what he, what he does in the clubhouse is, uh, I think just as important. I got to believe that when he comes through the door every day, it's like the energy level in the built in the room goes up. Yes. Yeah, it depends. Sometimes he's, uh, sometimes I think he's in Lego mode and he wants to just build, but when he's in, uh, when he's in talking mode, it can, uh, it can definitely get everyone going. Nice. So I, I mentioned to you before we started, I was going to brag a little bit about you last year when ESPN asked us to pick Cy Young award winners. Uh, I don't know if you read our thing. The one person picked you to win last year and was me. Cause Ooh, it, okay. that was based on uh, that was based. I felt smart all year as you were in contention for that award. Um, and, and that was based off our conversation that you and I had, because I walked away so impressed by your clear desire to get better, to improve. Mm. You seem very open-minded to the idea of, okay, what do I need uh, to take a next step forward? Where do you think that comes from in you? You know, first off, I'm sorry I let you down, but, uh, oh, but it, was, it was a good try. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess just if uh, if you really look at it, I guess with, uh, with clarity and open mind, um, 
there's just always things that you can get better at, you know? So, um, I think it just comes from that. Just realizing that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect and I have things that I can always improve on. Was there some coach or was it, you know, your upbringing or some voice that, you know, established that within you? Cause you know, and I know there are players who are uh, very defensive who've been stars their whole life and they're not necessarily open yeah. to change. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure my, my childhood had something to do with it. Um, but off the top of my head, uh, I think that's, I, I feel like that's a personality trait I've kind of had for a lot of my life. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm sure it was, you know, it came from somewhere. So we just had Paul Ambikides on, uh, who's an analyst for ESPN, and he talked about your slider, uh, which was the most effective pitch in baseball last year, according to the numbers that he was citing. It's clear that your development uh, of that pitch has been difference-making for you. Yeah. What were some of the important moments in that, some of the discoveries that you made along the way, adjustments you made? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was um, – well, figuring out how to get in the zone was, was the first part. And, um, I can honestly, I can think specifically to an outing I had in, I think 2021 where, uh, I was, I was given a big lead against the, uh, the Texas Rangers and I ended up like going three innings and walking people and not getting out of it. And, uh, Lance came up to me and just asked me what I've been focused on. And I told him, you know, this mechanical thing or that, whatever. And he's like, Hey, just focus on the target. So basically ever since then, I was like, you know what? I, I have to do that because thinking about mechanics, thinking about all this other stuff is just, it's, it's not working. It's hard to be consistent with. So once I started kind of making that part of my process, um, you know, with the slider, I kind of just figured out where I needed to aim it. And then I consistently practice, um, just practice that. And then I, I visualize and I, I, I try to do everything I can to uh, just stay focused and stay consistent with that because with pitching, like it's, I feel like it's such a subtle thing where if your head comes off a little bit at the end, then you're not going to, you're not going to have the same release, you know? So, um, really just, just trying to focus on where I'm aiming and, and being consistent and, you know, not getting my own way. Where do you aim? In other words, what's your visualization yeah. that you use, the target that you use? Yeah. So if I want it for a strike, I'll aim, um, up and in arm side. Um, it kind of depends, like, uh, I, I think some mounds are different. So sometimes I find that I have to aim in different spots and that'll take me a second to figure out, or, you know, it could be that day my body's working differently, whatever the case may be. So I, I kind of have to go through like a calibration phase with my throwing. Um, and I think as I get, as I get more consistent and, and better as I go, um, that, that phase shrinks. So, um, I think that's, that's one improvement, but. Um, if I want to, if I want to throw a back foot to a lefty, I'll just aim it right down the middle. Um, if I want to go, you know, if I need a, for sure a strike, I'll just throw it up in the zone, uh, basically to say up and in, um, to a righty or up, up arm side. So, um, um, that's one thing I'm just continuing to, to also try to figure out I, the more that, um, the more I feel like I kind of have those spots picked out and, and ready, the, the more I think it takes the thinking out of it. I love the stories from pitchers about the the moment of discovery on a pitch. For example, when Clayton Kershaw, you know, when he first got to the big leagues, he was a fastball curveball guy. And then he had a bullpen session in Wrigley Field. And he tried a slider and A.J. Ellis, he looked at him after throwing once, you know, how was that? And A.J. was like, yeah, that'll play. I'm curious for you, a, a moment with that pitch, the slider that it, it you're like, wow, this could be something for me. I think um, so I, I had a couple starts. 
I want to say it was after the Boston start where they got to me pretty good. Um, I started tinkering with it because I wanted to get more depth on it. And I basically just, it's hard to explain without having a ball, but I basically put my hand farther down on the grip. And um, I started, I started being able to throw it what felt like right down the middle and guys were swinging and missing at it. Um, so, so the amount of sort of the amount of stress that took off of me knowing and feeling like I could just throw it right down the middle and they weren't going to hit it, um, was, was huge. And I think I want to say it was the game before the blue Jays game. I used it a ton against the blue Jays. Um, you know, I feel like I struck, I had 11 strikeouts. I think they might've been all on sliders. Um, and I think that's when I really, I really realized that. Uh, if I kept doing it like that, I could basically just throw it in the zone and uh, good things would happen. What was the uh, a reaction that you got from a hitter that stuck with you? Uh, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. an awkward swing or or even if you, you bumped into a player after a game. Off the top of my head, I getting um, getting George Springer on the Blue Jays to strike out three times on it. Uh, I hate saying that because I sound uh, – you know, I don't want to sound disrespectful or anything like that to him because he's obviously a great player. But uh, it's actually yeah, it's a sign of great respect that it that it was meaningful true. to you. True. Yeah. Just um, seeing a player of that caliber, I'll say, um, swinging and missing at it, what um, really was uh, really confidence boosting for sure. Have you had a situation where pit- other pitchers are coming up to you and asking you about your slider? Yeah, definitely. I, I was having it. Uh, you know, I remember. Um, yeah, being in the outfield and guys would come up and uh, I guess I think my my grip's pretty unique. So, um, you know, coming up, how do you grip it? What are you thinking with it? And uh, I mean, pretty much I'm telling you the same thing here. I pick my visual. I, you know, I relax my arm and I drive as far as I can through it. Have you had that you know of any pitcher, you know, use your grip in a, in a game and uh, and report back to you? Um. I think Lance tried it, but I'm not sure if he stuck with it. It is, it's a pretty unique grip. So, um, yeah, I think he might have tried it, but I'm not 100% sure if he's still using it. All right, as you're looking ahead to 2023, again, knowing that you have an open mind and you're looking for ways to improve, going yeah. into spring training, what are you thinking? Yeah, well, right now I'm, uh, I've been really focused on trying to develop a changeup. So um, that's, that's kind of the base thing I'm queuing in right now. Um, so, so right now I'm basically just, I don't care what the action of the pitch is. I just want to throw it with arm speed. So I'm, I'm, I'm training myself to basically throw it, uh, with, with that full, like fastball arm speed. And, um, yeah, I'm just trying to visualize the shape and, and basically figure out where I need to start it and what that, uh, consistent feel and consistent starting point needs to look like. What's the biggest challenge as a power pitcher to do that? Cause I, you know, had conversation with, with Verlander, where he's like, yeah, I work on a changeup, but it's not that great. Um, mm-hmm. What's what's for you the biggest uh, you know the biggest thing that you're going to have to do to make that pitch work? Yeah, well, they always say uh, they always say you're either naturally gifted at the pronation or supination. So I, I tend to be a spin guy, um, but I, I really feel like I've never given the changeup a full chance because it's always been sort of it's always been that one pitch where it's like, hey, you don't want to get beat on your worst pitch, you know? So. Um, but then I, I see guys like Scherzer and, and Lucas and everyone that, that has these nasty change-ups. It's like, it just seems like it would make my life uh, that much easier, you know, to have another weapon. So um, I, I think the biggest thing is just figuring out, figuring out um, you know, a grip that works and how to, how to be consistent with it. Um, it, it for me, it, it tends to be the, the most 
I guess, feel pitch. But like I said, I don't feel like I've really given it a full chance ever in my career. So, um, you know, just being consistent with it, um, not getting discouraged and uh, really, I think, just continuing to, to chip away at it. Yeah, another guy with a great change. It was been a power pitcher, Steven Strasburg. Mm-hmm. Nasty. A long yeah, I feel like uh, I ahead. feel like they developed it a little later too. You know, like I don't think uh, I don't think Scherzer or or Strasburg, if I'm mistaken, um, had it earlier in their career. So I'm kind of hoping I I do that same trajectory. But even if it's uh, even if it doesn't end up having great movement or whatever, I, I think just being able to have something that I can throw in the zone um, and just give another look will be will be nice. All right, last one for you. You mentioned other pitchers. Who's a, a guy that you like to learn from? Uh, I've heard mm-hmm. so many pitchers through the years talk about you know going back and reviewing starts by an opposing pitcher uh, to, to try to model their approach against a particular team. Who's a guy that you like to watch? Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, in general, I, I like to watch a lot of guys. Um, growing up, I was always a fan of, of power pitchers, so that's always, uh, you know, been a draw to me, but, um, now I'm, I'm respecting command guys, uh, more than ever now, just because it's, uh, you know, I've led the league in walks, I think maybe a couple times now. So now I, I'm getting a little more to the, I'm getting to the point where I want to be, I want to be a little more refined and a little bit of, uh, less of a, you know, all or nothing guy, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, I love watching Lance pitch, but, um, really it's just cause he, he pitches with such, uh, conviction. You know, Yes, he pitches with uh, extreme conviction, and uh, I, I really feel like watching him pitch in in multiple ways has kind of been um, been good for my development. Without even picking his brain on anything, just because you know he he attacks with fastballs and he just goes after guys, you know. So I'm sitting here like I got a hard fastball and I got really good off speed. Like I all I got to do is get in the zone, you know. So um, Lance is a big one. I mean. I like watching Scherzer just to see that change up. Um, Verlander obviously is uh, a Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll watch a lot of different guys. All right, Dylan. Well, I appreciate your time, uh, and I'll see you in spring training. Awesome. Thank you for having me. This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, so your friend Mandy Bell ran uh, for you in your honor the other day. Oh Where was that? Down in Miami? I know it was someplace, or no, it was at Disney, right? It was at Disney. Uh, it was at 5 in the morning. She had to be at the start line at 3.45 a.m. because <laughs> of Florida weather and Disney not wanting to have the parks closed too long, I guess. She crushed it. I mean, absolutely crushed it. She did say, and I quote, never again, but she did amazing. I'm so proud of her. Yeah, so Sarah, I saw her tweet a picture of the two of you uh, and I think her number, and I don't remember the exact number, but it was like 43,000, which, you know, you and I have run a lot of races and, you know, you might get 125, you might get 250, you're, you know, you're an elite runner. You probably had like number four that they assigned you. No. But what, that number, I've never seen a number that big. Oh my gosh. I mean, these races are so crowded. I think it was 15,000 people. 
So Mandy did this race because I had done two prior races down at Disney. The Disney Princess Half Marathon, those are similarly crowded. But Mandy Bell was worried about finishing last. And I'm telling her, (laughs) there are so many people. There is absolutely no way. And not only did she not do that, she was way ahead of the pack. So really, really well done. And yes, very crowded. Now, you would not uh, bring this up yourself. So you're you're just going to have to answer a direct question. How much money did you wind up raising? (sighs) She wound up raising... I believe right now it's at over $102,000, which wow. I work with the numbers every day. That is not a number that even processes in my brain. I mean, just absolutely incredible. And if anyone is listening and donating, and based on the comments I saw, there are a lot of those people. Thank you to everyone involved. Oh, that, that's absolutely awesome. All right. Uh, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 42. So Nelson Cruz uh, reportedly signing with the Padres yesterday, which, by the way, I love because Juan Soto has gotten his team to sign Nelson Cruz, who is really the elder statesman from the Dominican Republic, now in two straight years. So Nelson Cruz will be 42 years and 272 days old on opening day. Only one player in Padres history has homered in a game at that age or older. And it was Ricky Henderson in 2001. He was 42 years and 283 days old. So any home run that Nelson Cruz hits on April 11th or later will give him sole possession of the oldest home run in Padres history. Number two. Number two is 39.5. So that's Carlos Correa's career war on baseball reference as of right now. That is the fifth most war by any shortstop through his age 27 season. Alex Rodriguez had 63.6. Archie Bond, who, if you're listening and you don't know about Tim Kirchner and Derek Jeter and Archie Bond, Google that, that exists, and uh, 55.9, Robin Yount, 44.7, and Cal Ripken Jr. at 43.6. And if we look at most home runs among shortstops, again, 327 season, Correa has 155, which also ranks fifth. Number one. Number one is 128. So, I've been working on these top 10 lists uh, for MLB Network and with Q, looking at who is the top 10 at each position in MLB entering this season. And Adley Rushman, it's amazing how quickly he has shot up this list. He debuted partway into last year. He's already in that top two, and that's all I'll say, at least for me. So... He had a 128 OPS plus last year. That was tied with Wilson Contreras for the second highest among catchers with at least 400 plate appearances. And it's right behind JT Real Muto, who was at 129. So it's basically a three-way tie up there. He was tied with Rodriguez for the most fan graphs for among rookies. 
88th percentile in whiff rate, 96th in walk rate, 82nd in chase rate. And by the way, really good with pop time and framing. I mean, he is the whole package eye catcher with plate discipline already. Yeah, he's pretty amazing. I do think that's one of the interesting conversations about whether or not he's the number one catcher in baseball. Uh, he, of course, plays in the American League East. I got a couple more curveballs for you. Uh, number one, uh, one of the other teams, the American League East, the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. I think quietly, Sarah, I've had a nice offseason. I don't think it's been a great offseason, but a nice offseason, in part because they balanced out their lineup. You know, they've been so predominantly right-handed and this winter, you know, they add Kiermaier, they add Varsho, and they just most recently signed Brandon Bell. What do you think? Absolutely. I really love it. You know, early in the winter meetings, I know it's only three days, but I feel like the first two days, a lot of Blue Jays fans on Twitter, I saw some tweets saying, what are we doing? Is anything happening here? And then slowly that petered out and they made some moves. And as you referred to, I mean, they really strengthened their defense, which I love to see with Varsho and with Kiermaier. And, of course, Varsho's bat is very good from the power perspective. And I love the addition of Brandon Bell. I also think he brings a really good leadership aspect to that team that hasn't lacked for good leaders, but a lot of them have been younger. So I think he can bring a lot. I mean, we talk about intangible like championship experience, but I think he is a guy who actually brings that. And again, his bat, if he's healthy, is really, really good. I think people forget about that because he has dealt with so many injuries. And lastly, I was talking with somebody who works in the uh, National League East. He mentioned that the Marlins have had an interesting offseason to him. I don't think he views, or I, and I certainly don't view them as a team that I'm going to pick to make the playoffs, but they could be a real pain in the butt. Like that, you would, you could walk in after assuming that they trade off a couple of the starting pitchers they have um, for surplus and augment that lineup. I kind of like what they've done. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think they've always, you know, these last few years, they've had that ability. I mean, when Sandy Alcantara is going out there every fifth day, you have the chance to really affect what's going on in the NL East. So I certainly see that. And the NL East is going to be fascinating. Of course, with Correa going to the Twins, the mess lineup is not as wanted as we thought it might be. If we were talking about a week ago, so I think that changes the equation there. And any time that you look at those pitchers, even if they end up training Pablo Lopez or one other pitcher, they have enough pitching there that I think they have the chance to win games, close games against some of these rivals. And again, it's going to be very tight in the NL East. So I wonder if they could kind of play spoiler throughout the year, not just in September when we're used to him. Speculation that I heard yesterday from an executive in baseball that he thinks the Marlins might flip Lopez to the Padres for Kim. Uh, the Padres have been open about trading Kim. They've got surplus at shortstop with the addition of Xander Bogarts. And I like that. I think it's a nice, nice potential match for both teams. We'll see. Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. 
Alrighty, Buster Bleacher tweets for a Thursday. Amy Chapman is up first. She writes in, it seems that in this offseason, it feels like players have made some steps to be more in control of their destiny, Judge DeGrom, etc. Similar to what NBA players have. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, Amy, I do generally, but I think that's just the players picking where they want to be. Uh, you know, Trey Turner, I think, is the best example. He turned down tens of millions of dollars more in an offering from the Padres in order to play for the Phillies, a team where he wanted to land. Uh, the one thing that hasn't happened in Major League Baseball free agency that we've seen the NBA is this twinning up, you know, players coming together and saying, hey, let's go to this team and win together. And I don't think that'll ever change. I think uh, the each, you know, for example, when the Yankees re-signed Anthony Rizzo, there was stuff written about, hey, Rizzo and Judge are really close. And in the end, you know, that's going to help the Yankees' chances for keeping Judge. I, I know. The players make decisions, I think, often on money or where they want to play. And, and so the idea of, like, being with a particular player as a teammate is not as big of a deal as people might think. Andrew Campbell at Real Camp Drew writes, and hey, Buster, which scenario do you think is most likely to occur after four years in the Twin Cities? He's got three of them. Um, first one, Correa remains a dominant infielder, plays 140 games a year, improves Minnesota right. Scenario number two, his injury history ends up biting the Twins. He struggles to stay on the field and proves the Giants and Mets right. Or number three, a missed, mixed bag, misses some playing time, plays a little bit, and he's great when he does. Uh, number three, because I do think it's fairly apparent from, uh, you know, the Giants saw the physicals. They were concerned. The Mets saw the physical. They were concerned. The Twins reduced their offer to Carlos Gray by $85 million when his market collapsed. Um, there's a lot of concern about him, and he's a big player. Like, you've seen Carlos up close. You know, he's not one of these, you know, Derek Jeter basically played the same weight his whole career. I think it's just a shade over 200 pounds. Carlos is big. Mm -hmm. And I think there's going to be a question whether or not he's going to hold up during the duration of a long, long-term contract. And I, you know, it's, I've never seen the medicals, but it's clear that doctors who have looked at it have very, a, a lot of concerns. Tom Nyman is up next. He writes in, Hey Buster, with Story being injured and likely to miss a lot of or all of the 2023 season, why don't the Sox front office admit that this is now a full rebuild and aim to contend in 2025 and 26? Pretty tough to do that in Boston, uh, especially mm -hmm. with the way the last few years have gone. And on top of that, you know, they, they've made these short-term moves. I referenced in my conversation with Tim Kirchin, they signed Kenley Jansen. They signed Justin Turner. Uh, they're clearly trying to prop up their teams with an effort to, to uh, better contend this year. They give Devers big money. It's hard to back off now. Like, I, yeah. I, to me... You go sign a shortstop that you feel like gives you a chance to win this year because you're, I mean, if you think of it like a poker game, they've already got money in the in the center of the pile. And it's, it'd be tough to walk away from that, you know, before the season starts. If they have a terrible first half, maybe they look to dump some of these contracts and go into rebuild. Reggie at Baseball Yoda Weather writes, in which team buster is maybe the least concerned with brand image that would be willing, crazy my view, to take Bauer, your view on uh, you know him not playing is clear, but Reggie throws these teams out. The Athletics, the Royals, the Twins, Tigers, Orioles, Rays, Rockies, Brewers, Pirates, or Mets. Yeah, I'm wondering about the Orioles uh, because it's clear that so much of what they do, Taylor, um, is driven by, you know, statistical analysis. Yes. It's all about the numbers. It's what they did at the trade deadline last year. You know, that they, it was clear that they're adhering to those numbers. And if you purely, if you look at it purely through the numbers, 
yeah, adding Trevor Bauer will make you a better team. Uh, I got to say this, you know, Peter Angelos no longer runs day-to-day operations with that team. I knew Peter really well, you know, covered him a couple of years at the Baltimore Sun. Mm -hmm. If he was running the team, there's absolutely no chance that they would consider doing this. And I'm not saying they actually are considering it, Mm -hmm. but among the teams that are listed there, I think the Orioles would be a candidate. What do you think? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, if he's coming in and, you know, they're paying him a million dollars, I, I I could definitely less see minimum that. wage. Yeah. What is it? 700,000 or yeah, something. Yeah, right. yeah. I could see it, but that's an interesting note about, uh, Peter Angelos there. I did not, not heard anything like that. Great perspective. Uh, last one for today. Corey Rukert at Corey R underscore 12 writes in if Fernando Tatis Jr. is suspended the first 20 games and can't be with the team, will he stay at the spring training site or be in the minors? Yeah, so, um, Corey, I actually reached out to some of the Major League Baseball this morning after I got your question just to get clarity on this, and this is the answer I got back. Uh, his uh, The return date, possible return date, is April 20th. He gets a 15-day minor league assignment, and the Padres can start that whenever they want. Most clubs time it so that the, it's the 15 days before he's returned so if 720 is the reinstatement date, he likely could start the minor leagues on April 5th. There you have it. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. We will be back next week. Uh, so keep them coming. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's it for today. My thanks to Dylan Cease, to Sarah, to Hembo, Tim, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.